Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Lieberland Show. I'm your host, Adam J. Carswell. Today, joined by the mercenary geologist himself, the legendary Mickey Fault. Mickey, it's an honor to have you here with us today. How are you doing, and, and what are you looking uh, forward to the most in our conversation? Well, let me say it's a pleasure to join you, Adam. Uh, I've never been called legendary before. I've been called <laughs> famous, but I've always insisted I'm infamous. Um, so, yeah, good to talk to you. Happy to have you here. And guys, I got to know Mickey personally uh, a little over a month ago in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. We were at a conference together and you know, I've shared with multiple people now, Mickey, since meeting you and some of the other individuals there. Um, it's kind of funny to me coming from a commercial real estate background, a term that you hear often is hard money and hard money in the world of real estate is more so, I guess you could call it hard currency <laughs> in reality and hanging out with you and, and other individuals in, in British Columbia, I began to realize you know, you guys refer to to your sector, the precious metal sector, um, as as hard money. And I thought to myself, you know what, that's interesting, because that's actually true. <laughs> like, this is real hard money that we're talking about here. So I thought that was, yeah, and so I would restrict that to gold. Gold is hard money. Gold has been hard money since the onset of civilization. So socialization, if you will, of mankind. Um, and you know, we got some other precious metals, but most of those are, the other three are mainly industrial metals. They can have some um, monetary value in that the fact that they can retain their their buying power, but really it's all about gold. And your point regarding real estate, I think, is well taken, And and but I would restrict that to farmland. So, um since the Renaissance, which is what, uh, about 600 years, well, longer than that, 700 years now, mm -hmm. I suppose, um, the world's richest families have maintained their wealth by holding three things, and that's gold, farmland, and very few people will guess the third one. First two are pretty easy, but fine art. So That's what I was thinking. And yeah, I certainly art. own... Uh, the first two. Interesting. A any uh, any reason you haven't gone the fine art direction yet? Uh, I'd rather collect baseball cards or something like that. I suppose. <laughs> Not, Never no, that really is, interested me. <laughs> that is definitely and, a and fine art surprises me because uh, it it is dependent on what people are able to or willing to pay for anything. Uh, and as as opposed for gold and farmland, uh, those are things that retain their value because they're of, uh, in the case of gold, it's money. It's the only thing that is money. In the case of farmland, uh, it produces stuff that humankind needs to survive. Fine Absolutely. art's not that way. <laughs> It is not. And I'm looking at our, uh, I wanted to make sure I had your tagline in here correctly. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are tuned in right now, I noticed geologist, I just corrected my my spelling there, Mickey. So I got mercenary geologist with G-E-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. Um, I had a little brain fart there. I had an I instead of an O. So 
there we go. Usually I have to spell mercenary for people. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so on that note, I want to kind of uncover the, the, the story and, and your background, how you got from, you know, where you were to where you're at. And I think mercenary geologist, you know, that branding right there, it really pops. It really stands out. And I know from getting to know you, before I could remember your actual name, that's what I was thinking is like, this is the mercenary guy. So uh, how did you come up with the, the branding there? What's the meaning behind it? And, and we'll go from there. Yeah. So most people think mercenary refers to a soldier. And if you look it up in the dictionary, mercenary is someone for hire. So uh, I spent 30 years as a practicing field geologist in the resource sector and about 20 of that was as a geologist for hire, i.e. a mercenary. So had this in the back of my head a long time. And uh, when I kind of left the day-to-day as a chief geologist uh, in 2007, my first speaking appearances, uh, or my first speaking appearance was in Chicago. And I was asked to introduce myself, and I said, I'm the mercenary geologist and yada, yada, yada. And people laughed. So I go, well, there's the tag right there. And so that's uh, what uh, 15 years later, and it's been a, it's been good to me. So hard to, hard to forget, I suppose. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm taking a look at your, uh, at your Twitter feed right now too, which I find very impressive, you know, getting to know you, you, you strike me as a little, maybe a little bit more of, uh, of an old school guy or an old school approach to this world of technology, but you're pretty up to date with your, with your Twitter. It's good to see. Yeah, we're very active on Twitter and, and I appreciate the compliment there. Uh, you know, we tweet uh, quite often. We're, I'm looking at my Twitter page right now and the, of course, and we started in the early days of Twitter in March of 2010. We chose Twitter as the only social media platform we wanted to be active on, although we've got dummy accounts for the most part on Facebook at all. Uh, but 16,400 tweets, so we tweet generally every day, 48,000 followers, and uh, it's stuff that interests me, so I'm obviously a, a fan of the St. Louis Blues and the St. Louis Cardinals. I see that. I uh, see we that. tweet about geology. We tweet about uh, libertarianism, and that's where we met at a libertarian symposium that I spoke at. So we tweet about that. We tend to be fairly political. Uh, we support the idea of less government. You know, I'm a a Austrian economist or a, right. an amateur Austrian economist, I should say. So supply side sort of economics uh, and considering what's going on with the world right now and the U.S. government, we're pretty active on that front too. Um, and if you scroll down my website, you'll learn very quickly that I love to fish and I've actually spoken at some hunting and fishing shows where uh, I basically work to fish. So it gets me places where I, my work historically has got me places that I can go fishing. Uh, 
at the end of a job or before a job or whatever. And a couple of weeks ago, I guess three weeks ago, I landed my biggest fish ever, a 300-pound, eight-foot sturgeon wow. on the Fraser River. Uh, what about 30 kilometers from downtown Vancouver? So, wow, yeah, upriver, upriver, uh, directly upriver, the Fraser River. So, yeah, biggest pounds. fish ever. So my previous best was a 160-pound fish. Uh, and I'm, so I'm to, if Twitter I, will let you scroll down far enough, you'll see that fish on my website. Yeah, I, I'm going to do some digging here. Um, I guess I'm just I'm curious to know. I, I've only done a little bit of fishing throughout my life. How do you reel in? Because you're, I mean, I, I met you. I, you're definitely not 300 pounds. <laughs> How do you reel in a 300-pound no. fish? Well, you got to have good equipment. So we've got uh, a guide that we hire when the fishing's good out of uh, Coquitlam, which is upriver from Vancouver. Um, and they've got their right equipment. So you're fishing with very heavy-duty uh, rod and reel. Um 160-pound braided line, 320-pound uh, leaders, 14-aught, 12-14-aught circle hooks. Uh-huh. And then the battle's on, and you strap on what we euphemistically call the mangina, which is a belt <laughs> that you stick your rod butt into, and the fight's on. So uh, I went with my fishing buddy, uh, Dan Stewart. And we've gone before, and it actually took us both to land that fish. I I hooked it and reeled on it for 15 so minutes, and uh, he took the last 15 minutes. We had to chase it with a boat. It was dragging our boat (laughs) upriver, despite the strong current and being anchored. We pulled anchor because I was about ready to get spooled. We had, I think, around 300 yards of this heavy braided line and I'm yelling at the at the boatman I'm about ready to get spooled and he pulled in the anchor and we went chasing the fish and and we eventually got it to the beach and measured it and released it wow wow yeah I did now that now that I'm looking at your uh your page here I think I did find the picture so guys make sure you um you go follow Mickey on on Twitter it's mercenary geo on Twitter uh yep so one thing that you shared at the conference that we got to meet at that still kind of burns in my mind, and I don't even know if it was necessarily a part of, I don't think it was your main focus, but it, it just happened to be the one thing that stood out to me the most. And I think we even talked about it at the picnic afterwards, which is this concept of global global cooling, which as a young whippersnapper, <laughs> I didn't even know that that was you know, what they used to say back in the day. Now they obviously turned the narrative and you know, everyone's, everyone's ruining the world now and it's global warming. But um, I found it really interesting to know that, you know, back then uh, the public narrative was global cooling and it's just interesting to see how. Yeah, that, that was from 1965 to 1975. That was, that was the crisis that was sure to come. So um, I gave a talk at this symposium. It's a bit of a mouthful. I love alliteration so the title of it was modern day malevolence malfeasance and malpractice 
by the Malthusian mob, and it's a, <laughs> not a two thousand word essay think piece is what we call them, and uh, that's available for free on my website on the musings page. Awesome, awesome. So, Mickey, um, when was that moment for you when you started realizing that? Or maybe for you, maybe you've just always been this way too. I know for me, there was a few things that transpired in my life before I started questioning this system that we've kind of been placed into. So when would you say your contrarian views first started to <laughs> change your life? Well, that's a good way to put it because I'm a contrarian in the sp stock market. And uh, I started thinking for myself, who knows exactly when. My mom always said that... Uh, Mickey is his own man, so which means I think for myself, the first time I can remember for sure was I had just turned six years old and I was eavesdropping from the hallway uh, and I heard my mom telling one of her friends about hiding Easter eggs and, you know, the stuff that kids, all that bad chocolate we used to get for, uh, <laughs> for uh, Easter the Easter Bunny and all that sort of crap, and I realized that Easter Bunny wasn't real. Now, I'd already figured out that the Tooth Fairy wasn't real because <laughs> I, I would fake, you know, when you're a little kid and you lose your baby teeth, and back back in the day, and I don't know if I doubt if they still do it, but your parents would come in, you put the tooth under your pillow, and in the middle of the night they'd come in and replace that tooth with a a silver mercury dime and right. so i i'd wake you know i'd fake being asleep because i wanted one of those dimes and it's kind of funny i now own a <laughs> couple of bags of junk silver so i have lots of those mercury dimes but so then i started thinking well if i know the tooth fairy's not for real and the, now i just figured out the easter bunny's not for real and so logic and reason demands that santa claus wasn't real either and that was a bit devastating. That was major because that's who brought you the the plastic army men with a guy, and including one with a bazooka, so you can play with your army little three-inch army figurines and your swim bicycles when you were five years old, and et cetera. So, so I immediately uh, became be, uh, became a skeptic. Uh, you know, and I'm basically an optimist, so a, uh, uh, a skeptical optimist, I guess, is what <laughs> I, like I am. And, uh, yeah, and so that continued on. Then it was really uh, cemented when I was around 12. Now I realize I grew up in the in the Ozarks of Missouri, uh, and and the Bible Belt, and I was raised a Southern Baptist, but I had this Sunday school teacher I didn't like, but she insisted that I believe that Jonah got swallowed by a whale and puked up on a beach, no worse for wear, and that was a bit much. So at that point, I shed my religion, I shed belief. In fact, I refused to use the word belief in all its various forms, noun, verbs, adjectives, Etc. And I reject faith, belief, and dogma for science, reason, and logic. Uh, you know, I'm a Missourian, and and my favorite author, author of course, is Mark Twain, and he says, uh, 
faith is believe in what you know ain't so. And uh, so I'm from Missouri, and you got to show me. Yeah. <laughs> and from then on, <laughs> I've questioned everything. And if you know, if you can't see it, feel it, touch it, reason it, smell it, taste it, uh, then it comes into the idea of faith and belief, and I have none. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, I like, well, your approach there on shedding the word belief from your vocabulary and how you uh, choose to interpret faith does show that you uh, are, are putting a lot of what I would consider valuable thought into your perception of reality, which that's really what it comes down to is your awareness. How do you view right from wrong? Is there a right and wrong in the first place? So um I love I love that view. I've actually never heard anyone share it the way you just did. So yeah, well, it's uh, you know I've spoken about it uh, at the symposium previous years. I've spoken about it. Uh, you know, the title of a talk uh, and also uh, news. My musings, my newsletter is uh, one of them is uh, the fallacy of belief. Yes, Virginia, there is no Santa Claus. Uh, the other word I refuse to use, except in very specific cases, is perfect. Mm. Now, perfect is used way too much, and if you really look at it, there's very few things that are perfect in the world. You can. I'm a. I was a baseball player for a long, long time. You, nice. you competitive baseball player. You can uh, pitch perfect game. Uh, you can bowl a perfect game and. In bowling, um, you can get a perfect score on a true-false test. There's very few other things that is, are perfect, so I, I generally will not use the word perfect except in uh, the above-referenced yeah. cases. That's so interesting to me um, that you say that, too, because I, I was just in an email thread with someone who I... I responded to them said something and they emailed me back and they said perfect like i can still see it in my mind yeah, right no <laughs> and i've actually written about that i if you go on my website to the musings page and you can do things like control f and you type in a word so type in fallacy type in perfect uh one time i had a meeting Oh, looks like we lost Mickey there on his phone. So we will wait for him to rejoin us, I guess. <laughs> this interview is pretty close to it, but it's not a not a perfect interview, right? Or maybe we'll find the, the, the perfection in the imperfection. Um, hang on, ladies and gentlemen, while we bring Mr. Fulp back in here to close this one out. All righty, we're back. Looks like we had a quick little power surge there, but Mickey is back here on the line with us. So Mickey, we were talking about the word perfect and how you, you've done, uh, I think you said you wrote an essay on it. I did, and it's called The Fallacy of Believing in Perfect. And it happened, I was in a meeting with a guy, and for some reason we started talking about uh, that Journey song, uh, Don't Stop Don't Stop Believing. So mm -hmm. I wrote a thing about that uh uh, never start believing or don't start <laughs> believing something like that. So <laughs> anyway, so that's available on the website too. I think that was in 20, 
17, 2019, something, okay. sometime, 2018. Hard awesome. to remember, you know, we lost a year and a half with the with the so-called panda pandemic. Right, yeah, whatever whatever that nonsense was. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, but Nick, Mickey, um, could you tell our audience, I, I'll never forget one thing you shared with me too when we were hanging out um, in person was, and it was a very subtle, very humble way, but you were basically like, you know, I, I've, I've made a lot of people millionaires or I've made a lot of people wealthy uh, with what I do. So could you just share a little bit about what you do and, and what you're working on right now? Yeah, so for the last 14 years or so, I've been a mining analyst, speaker, writer, and written a newsletter. Basically, uh, a lot of it is financial, and we play, historically, have played the junior resource sector, companies uh, listed in on the Toronto Venture Exchange, a lot of those based in Vancouver, and pick stocks, and you pick them at the right time, and uh, we have a criteria we want to double in 12 months or less. So this is very high risk, high reward, uh, gambling money, if you will. And we've been quite successful doing that. And, uh, through bear markets, bull markets, uh, and yeah. So I've okay. generally got some stock picks out there. I don't have any at present because of this deep bull market that we're in across the board worldwide i think recession's coming so uh if i had any advice for people right now i'll just tell you what i do i don't give it uh, advice but uh uh you know we we talked a bit about it at the beginning and that's uh buy precious metals buy gold gold mm -hmm. in your physical possession is a safe haven against economic collapse financial calamity uh if you own gold, you'll be rich. You're rich, and if you uh, don't use it in your lifetime, you'll make your children and your grandchildren, your progeny, uh, take care of them for their lives. So, mm -hmm. um, and the other thing is always looking to buy productive farmland. And uh, you know, I've got a couple of places I live: New Mexico and Missouri, and and some in Vancouver and so uh farmland in the Ozarks of Missouri is pretty hard to beat right now yes yes and that is um definitely something I've, I've observed as well I know we talked about that briefly at the beginning too but the acquisition of farmland or owning it and maintaining it it's definitely something I've observed many of the world's most most wealthy people um, pursuing right now and so for everyone who's tuned in right now or even a reminder to myself is, is i probably get ready to to buy a farm here in the foreseeable future it sounds like it's a good way to go and make sure you, you couple that with gold and a couple baseball cards and you'll be set <laughs> mickey mantles <laughs> <laughs> there you go there you go all right mickey well thank you so much for for spending your time with us investing your time with uh, the listeners here at the liberland show and to our listeners thank you as well for investing your most valuable resource your time mickey what is the the best place or, or best way for our listeners to follow up and get in touch with you yeah if they want to get a personal response contact at mercenarygeologist.com we run a free uh, website free newsletter for the most part, somewhat restricted to subscribers, but you can go on the website mercenarygeologist.com. 
below my mugshot, click, and it'll take you a page that'll get you access to some of the recent restricted stuff. And uh, and follow us on Twitter at Mercenary Joe. We have a lot of fun there. Uh, but Twitter's a one-way thing for us, so we put it out there. Do not expect uh, a response from anything you uh, you reply to us on Twitter. We do that strictly via email. Perfect, perfect. Not in the public venue, my friend. You know what? I just said perfect. I gotta, I gotta practice that. It is not, maybe not necessarily <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, thank you, thank you very much, Mickey. And guys, again, his his email is uh, the best way to get in touch. That is is contact at mercenarygeologist.com. and we'll put the other links in the show notes as well. Uh, Mickey. Thank you again, and I look forward to our next encounter. Okay. I'll do one little plug here. I will be speaking at the New Orleans Investment Conference oh, nice. on October 12th through 15th. I'm talking. I'm a commodities talking head. I'm speaking about natural gas, and uh, uh, mid-October in the Big Easy is hard to beat, so lots of lots of. Uh, food and drink and fun and uh, a collection of libertarian leaning people. Yes. Yes. I'm familiar with the, uh, the new Orleans investment conference and have only heard good things. So that's great to hear. You'll be there. Uh, my firstborn is due very soon here. So I'll probably <laughs> see, uh, yeah. see you at a, at a future one. Yeah. We talked about that. It was a pleasure to meet you and your lovely wife in Vancouver. Absolutely. Thank you, Mickey. Um, again, this has been great. Thank you for that, that extra plug there, guys. Don't forget, you can catch Mickey at the New Orleans Investment Conference. And uh, this is it for the Liberland Show. I'm Adam J. Carswell, your host. We were joined today by Mickey Fulp of mercenarygeologists.com. Thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you in the next episode.